With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Apologies that we are a day late email snafu between Beijing and Chapel Hill, don't you know? Did you know that this Sunday, July 17th, is World Emoji Day? Dare I say it, but if we had to choose emojis to represent today's lineup of Chinese business news stories, it would probably be quite a few frowny faces. We'll be hearing how a TikTok senior executive has left ByteDance, Southern China is grappling with a flu pandemic, and Guinea has once again suspended the Simindo iron ore project, attributing its decision to challenges with investors. If you're looking for a quick and fun way to keep up with the biggest China-related business news, then you are listening to The Right Podcast. And we kick off this week's roundup with a pretty shocking story from Shanghai. As many as five people were injured by a knife-wielding attacker at a renowned hospital in the city on Saturday before the man was subdued by armed police. That is according to local police and witnesses. While the police statement only mentioned four victims, a staff member of Shanghai's Reijin Hospital told Caixin, The injured included two children, two nurses, and a pediatric director. None of their injuries were said to be life-threatening. Upon arrival, the police found the assailant holding a number of people hostage at knife point. The officers then shot and injured the man in order to subdue him. The police statement has not mentioned the attacker's current condition or his whereabouts, but says that an investigation into the matter is ongoing. Moving on to some big developments in Hong Kong. Last week, the city announced that it would do away with its so-called circuit breaker mechanism. Under that system, airlines faced a five-day flight ban if more than five passengers, or 5%, of those on a flight tested positive for COVID. When the policy was originally introduced over a year ago, the flight suspension was 14 days. Hong Kong authorities said that in a review of data and scientific analysis, They found that enhanced and more frequent nucleic acid testing for inbound passengers would be more effective in controlling imported cases. The former British colony has slowly eased pandemic controls, which had deterred many people from traveling in and out of the hub for more than two years. Turning now from Hong Kong to the West African nation of Guinea, the big news is that Guinea's government has again suspended the construction of Simindu 
iron ore mine. What's behind the decision? According to an official statement, the government cited the failure of investors to reach an agreement on starting a joint venture. Simendu is considered the world's largest, highest quality iron ore reserve. This marks the second time this year that Guinea authorities have hit the brakes on the development of the project, which is seen as crucial for China to reduce its reliance on Australian iron ores. While the West African country's ruling junta blamed investors for the halt, sources familiar with the project told Saisin that investors had submitted an agreed-upon joint venture plan to the government, but never received a response. The sources added that the government demanded tangible benefits from the project, such as cash payments, so it tried to force the investors to compromise by suspending the project. Also experiencing some challenges of late is ByteDance. That's after one of its senior executives, Louis Yang, left the company. According to an anonymous source, before resigning the week before last, Yang had been working on educational devices at ByteDance. Bloomberg reports that under Yang's guidance, the company introduced its first hardware product in 2020, a desktop lamp with a built-in touchscreen and voice assistant to help children learn. However, the product's sales never really took off, and the tech enterprise has had to close the majority of its online education programs as a result of the Chinese government's stricter regulations on the private tutoring industry. It's been an exciting week for the world's largest contract manufacturer of smartphones. That's after Huaqin, which counts the likes of Samsung and Sony among its customers, plans to go public on the Shanghai Stock Exchange's main board. The news comes two months after Huaqin withdrew an application to list on the exchange's Nasdaq-style tech board following regulatory inquiries about its actual technological advantages and financial status. The company hopes to raise the equivalent of $820 million through the share sale. In other business news, China has introduced a slew of new measures to boost sales of used cars and new energy vehicles to help offset downward pressure on the economy. According to a statement jointly issued last week by 17 central government departments, local authorities around the country should this month abolish rules which ban the registration of pre-owned cars from being transferred between regions. Such rules have made it hard for buyers to purchase a car that was previously owned in a province or a city other than their own. Meanwhile, from October 1st, used cars sold by licensed traders will not be subject to plate limits, which restrict automobile ownership in cities like Beijing and Shanghai. Chinese social media is in an uproar over 32-year-old allegations about the abduction of a baby during the one-child policy era. The same allegations have led to several officials in South China's Quanzhou County being suspended. All of the drama kicked off after a letter recently surfaced where the local health bureau allegedly rejected a request by parents to probe the 1990 abduction of their baby son. The story has gotten viral triggering mass outrage and leading to an official inquiry. The parents said that back in August 1990, their infant child was violently snatched from the arms of his mother by a group of five people. After contacting the authorities for help, the local health bureau apparently told the couple that the incident wasn't a case of human trafficking and that the child was taken away for a so-called unified social adjustment that could mean 
He was sent to a single person to raise as he was illegally born under China's one-child policy at the time. The child was the seventh child of the couple. Despite their attempts to find their son, the parents never managed to reunite with him. Let's turn now to Nandini Vincata, co-producer of this program, and Saishin Global's podcast producer. So, Nandini, what is the story of the week? Hey, Kaiser. Yeah, so this week I want to talk about a dramatic spike in virus cases in southern China. And before you ask me, this is not a COVID story. It's actually about the flu. The flu, eh? Um, so what's going on with the flu there? So various parts of southern China have reported a spike in flu cases. And quite worryingly, many experts are now warning that um, the flu could actually sweep through the rest of China later on this year. They also say that it's possible that COVID controls could have weakened the natural immunity of people. Can you give us some numbers around this, Nandini? Yeah, sure. So um, according to the Chinese National Influenza Center, in the period from mid-May to mid-June this year, China recorded around 350 local flu outbreaks of 10 or more cases in a week. And that is up from 98 in the same period a year ago. I should also add that most of these cases were infections of the H3N2. That's a strain of the influenza A virus. So obviously there are many different um, viruses behind the flu, and this is the H3N2. And Bloomberg actually reports that the H3N2 was behind a global pandemic in the late 1960s. That pandemic actually claimed the lives of around a million people. Now, before anyone starts to panic, I should, of course, you know, remind everyone that this was back in the late 1960s. Since then, of course, there have been decades of um, advances in medical science, also in our hygiene standards and our standards of living. So I really don't want listeners to start freaking out about this. And then can we get back to the part about COVID controls possibly weakening natural immunity? What's all that about? Yeah, so um, uh, of course, when the pandemic first erupted, um, you know, governments worldwide took a number of steps to um, try to stop the contagion from spreading. So in China, you of course saw, um, you know, the government put a big emphasis on discourage on discouraging, um, you know, big public gatherings, um, and also, you know. Um, telling people that they should wear masks um, in public when they're meeting other people. And of course, steps like this were really effective at preventing the spread of COVID and um, also the spread of other um, infectious respiratory diseases, like, of course, the flu. So in the past two years since COVID's been on the scene, there's been this big drop in flu cases in China. Here's a bit of data for you. Um, there were fewer than 670,000 cases of the flu in China last year. And this is down from 3.5 million in 2019. So, you know, a really significant drop. The flip side of all of this is that these COVID controls did lead to a side effect. And that is that people are more vulnerable now to um, things like the flu, simply because um, they haven't been exposed to these germs for quite a while. 
So this has weakened their immune system. So um, the concern is that if um, people catch those germs now, that their body will have to work a bit harder to protect them. Okay, so I guess the big thing that people are worried about is how will Chinese health authorities manage a surge of flu cases if cases start sweeping across China when they're already dealing with the containment of, of COVID? Yeah, well, those are really big questions. I'm not sure how I can answer them. Um, but I would say, you know, the short answer is that it's going to put a lot of pressure on the country's medical resources, especially fever clinics. Fever clinics are going to have to, they will have the big challenge of trying to balance between treating a rising number of flu patients and also containing another COVID outbreak. Um, so actually, many fever clinics in southern China um, have said that they are now crowded with flu patients, especially child patients. So a doctor working at a Guangzhou hospital called Li Xuhua told Saishin that fever clinics at the hospital's two sections admitted more than 2,600 child patients on June 20th. So that's double the number from the same day last year. And indeed, preliminary medical results show that 70% of these patients did indeed have the flu. Okay, thank you, Nandini. Yeah, thank you, Kaiser. Look forward to speaking to you next time. Indeed. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Andini Vincata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for our daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.